Good morning and welcome to our Sunday worship service. Thank you for joining us and we pray that you will be blessed by our time together as we worship the Lord and as we hear from his word. A couple of announcements to share with you as we begin our service today. We are planning a church membership meeting for Tuesday, January the 26th at 7 p.m. And this is, of course, going to depend on the level of restrictions. We know that some of the restrictions are going to be lifting uh, in, the, in the next week or so, but we don't know what that's going to look like yet. However, we are, we are planning this meeting to go ahead, either to be in person with the option provided of still joining in via Zoom, uh, online, or if the restrictions simply still won't allow it, it will be done by Zoom only. So you're going to stay tuned for more uh, specific details on that, but write down on your calendar Tuesday, January 26th, 7 p.m. for our church annual membership meeting. Also, with that being said, uh, anticipating some of the restrictions beginning to lift, we're, we're beginning to plan ahead to what that will mean for church here. And so anticipating uh, some of these restrictions lifting, we're hoping to begin live streaming our service again next Sunday, and that would air at 10.30. But again, stay tuned on details for that as we don't know what the specifics will look like yet, but we're hopeful, and so we're planning uh, for a live stream accordingly. So stay tuned on, on that. We also would like to, uh, again, make you aware of a uh, way which you can give for your tithe and offering, and you can send that by, by check uh, through the mail to Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K1G0. Make checks payable to the Clarny Mennonite Church. You can also drop it off in person uh, in the foyer. There is an offering box located there for you. I will now invite you to uh, bow with me, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are in a season where we are reminded that our hope and everything that we, that we look for is in you and in you alone. Lord, there are so many places that people look to for their hope, for their provisions, and all of those places, Lord, in the end will fail. Only you are the perfect provider. Only you are our living hope. And so we thank you that this is ours through faith in you. And so we pray, Lord, that this hope and this faith would grow stronger in these days in which we're living in. We pray as well, Lord, with, with some hopefulness and anticipation of looking ahead to being able to regather as a church family once more. And so we continue to pray, Lord, for our leadership, for our premier, for our health officials, for everyone involved in making these decisions, Lord. Would you guide them with wisdom that would come from you? And so we pray, Lord, for, for that. Uh, we ask as well, Lord, that you would continue to work in our church, uh, in our membership, Lord, as we make decisions and as we anticipate um, having our annual membership meeting. We pray, Lord, that you would bless that and the decisions and direction that is made as well. We thank you again for providing for us through this past, uh, through this past year, and uh, we thank you that you are good in all seasons. Lord, in this time, we also want to remember those who have lost loved ones. And we think, Lord, of the Duick family on the passing of Margaret Duick. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be near to them. And we thank you as well, Lord, for giving Margaret and the entire family such uh, an incredible faith, Lord, to persevere through the long years of her illness. And we thank you, Lord, that she is freed from that illness now and is in your presence. 
uh, completely whole. And we thank you for that great hope. And so we, we pray your blessing on that family. Be near to them as they grieve her passing, Lord, and uh, be a strength to them. We also pray, Lord, your blessing on Ben Wolf and Bethany Petker as they have just been married and are beginning their lives together. We pray your rich blessings upon their marriage, and we ask that you would go with them. Now, Father, we also pray uh, your blessing upon this service. We ask that it would glorify you. We pray as well, Lord, uh, that you would bless the gifts that are given and that you would multiply it in the year ahead to the furthering of your kingdom. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'd like to thank Tim and Brittany and their praise team for leading us in worship this morning. It's good to sing together. And it'll be even better once we're able to sing together once more in person. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Everyone I talk to is saying the same thing. We miss it. We miss each other. We miss worship and uh, worshiping together. And so we are anticipating that. But I pray that even as we are still in our homes, that you will again feel the unity of the Spirit, that we are worshiping together as a church family. Though we are separate, we are still united in heart. And so I pray that you feel that again today. Now, last week, we resumed our series in Romans in part 10. And there I introduced the theological phrase that describes the past, present, and future components of our salvation, which states, I have been justified, I am being sanctified, and I will be glorified. So to be justified is to be forgiven of the penalty of sin, to be sanctified is the ongoing process of being separated from the practice of sin, And to be glorified will be that future event where we are forever separated from even the presence of sin in the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus. We then proceeded to focus in on Paul's loaded question, which he begins Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And we learn the emphatic answer is no, God forbid. Because though the grace of God is free and unlimited, it is most definitely not something cheap to be exploited by continuing to sin, but rather God's grace is something incredibly precious that we need to treasure and value because it was purchased for us by the precious blood of Jesus. And so this truth should strongly motivate us and give us a deep desire to forsake sin and to take our personal sanctification just as seriously as God does. And so now today we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're going to focus in now on the paradox of the Christian life, which is that we are simultaneously both dead and alive. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6, and we will read there the first 14 verses beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful word, this rich word, and we thank you that it is true. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, make this word alive to our minds and our hearts today. Speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now today, as we have just heard from this word, we're going to focus in on three key spiritual principles from this text. Three keys that we need to know and embrace which will enable and empower us to live out the new life, the sanctified life in Christ. The first two of these keys are positional. It's something that we simply are as believers, our position. The third key is a very practical key to living in victory. So first two keys are positional and the third is practical. Now let's focus in on the first positional key that we need to know and embrace. And that is... I have died to sin with Christ. I have died to sin with Christ. Romans 6, verse 2. We died to sin. Full stop. We're going to just leave it right there. Four words, we died to sin. I want you to take note that Paul does not say, we hope to die to sin. He doesn't say we should endeavor to to die to sin, that we should strain or try or fight to die to sin. Instead, he emphatically declares as a statement of fact, we died to sin, period. It is a past event that is already complete. Nothing more needs to be said about it. It's done. Now, how can Paul say that? Well, he goes on to explain in verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here we see that by faith in Christ, We become so fully identified with his death and his burial that its effect is as powerful as if it had literally happened to each one of us. So in this way, when you think of a baptism service, 
you can actually think of it as a funeral service of sorts. Because this means that way back when, for me, as an 18-year-old young man, when I was baptized by immersion, and I went down under that water, and I was, I was pushed down under that water, that was a visible sign of the spiritual reality that when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified with him. And when he died, I died with him. And when he was buried, I was buried with him. And so in this way, your baptism and mine is a funeral service to our old self, to our sin, and to our flesh. We died, period. It is finished. Because we died with Christ, fully identified in him. The story was shared in the devotional gleanings in the Gospels. That during the American Civil War, it was a common practice to allow those who had been drafted into military service to hire a substitute to fight in their place. Now, of course, this resulted in many a man of wealth avoiding his duty of patriotic service by paying a poorer man to take his place. And so, typically, it was the the poor, those who had very little, who bore the brunt of this terrible conflict. Now, the record shows that in one such instance, a young man of some wealth negotiated with a much less wealthy friend what was considered a fair price for his friend to take his place in the Union Army. So the amount was agreed upon and paid. The official papers were signed, and the friend then joined the Union Army in his wealthy friend's place. Sometime later, he faced the Confederate Army in a battle at a place called Gettysburg. But sadly, he soon became one of the many thousands of young men that died in that fierce battle, and he was afterward buried in the Gettysburg Cemetery. Now, it so happened a few months later that the wealthy young man who had hired his friend to be his substitute received a second draft letter summoning him again into compulsory military service in the Union Army. While this time he outright refused to go. When he ultimately appeared in court, the lawyer for his defense pleaded his case based upon the simple proposition that no man can die twice. No man can die twice. He argued that legally his client had already made the supreme sacrifice for his country through this substitutionary service and death of his friend who had willingly agreed to take his place. Now in the end, the lawyer's plea prevailed and the judge ruled that insofar as the law was concerned, the wealthy young man was indeed dead and buried alongside his friend in the Gettysburg Cemetery. And thus declared legally dead by the judge, the young man then walked out of the courthouse, very much alive, to go on living his life. He was, in effect, both dead and alive. Now, so it is for all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Because In the eyes of God's law, our debt to sin has been paid in full because Jesus willingly took our place. He willingly became our substitute in every single way, through his life, his death, his burial, 
and his resurrection in order that we might be reconciled to God. Now, this is called the doctrine of vicarious atonement. Vicarious atonement. Vicarious means in place of someone else. And atonement means to reconcile or to make amends. So if you have placed your faith in Christ, then in the eyes of the law, you are dead and buried with Christ in that garden tomb. And therefore, the power of the law is broken because it can make no more demands of a dead man. In the eyes of the law, you are dead and buried with Christ. It can make no more demands of you. In this way, Jesus vicariously has atoned for you through his substitutionary life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so now you and I can know and declare this first key is our present position and reality. I have died to sin with Christ. I am dead. And now we move on to the second key spiritual principle that we need to know and embrace, which will enable and empower us to now live out the sanctified life in Christ. So the first key is, I am dead. And the second key is, I am alive to God in Christ. I am alive to God in Christ. Verse 5, Paul continues, If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now this is the good news. Because going back to my baptism as a young man, when I went under that water, I died. But praise God, I didn't stay dead. I thank the Lord that the, the good pastor didn't keep holding me under the water until I didn't come up. No, instead, he brought me back up out of that water. And as I took that first deep breath after being submerged, now I don't know how, but this is one of those mysteries of, of, of the faith, is that when I came up out of that water, God's word tells me that this is true, that my first breath was fully intertwined with that first breath that Jesus' resurrected body took when he came back to life. Because remember, his body was stone dead three days in the tomb. It was not taking breaths. It was not breathing. The heart was not beating. But that moment came. The power of God descended on that corpse. And it came back to life. Not just spiritually, but physically. And it took its first breath. And that heartbeat began to go again. And the blood began to circulate. And he really, truly came back to life by the glory of God. And so, too, coming up out of that water, taking that first breath, that breath and everyone since is now intertwined with the breath, the life of Christ. I am fully intertwined with him. His life is now my life in every way that matters. His death is my death. His breath is my breath. His life is my life in every way. And his thoughts are to be my thoughts. As Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am hidden in Christ. My life is in him in every single way. 
Now, in the category of, of truth is stranger than fiction, writer Mark Han shares the story of an ordinary chicken that became world famous as Miracle Mike. It all began on a farm in Fruta, Colorado, on September 10th, 1945. A farmer by the name of Lloyd Olson was headed to the market the next day to sell some of his chickens. And so he was getting them ready by going out and chopping off their heads. Now, there were about 50 chickens to process that day, and so Lloyd was using that simple routine. Chicken goes on the block, raise the axe, lower the axe, head falls, chicken stops moving. And as he's going through this, one after the other, chopping heads, one chicken was different. Because they got down to the end and had one who is still alive up and walking around. It was the proverbial chicken running around with its head chopped off. Now, this was pretty special, but not entirely unheard of. What made this particular chicken so special is that it just didn't stop. It kept running around. Now, not knowing what else to do, they put the headless chicken inside an old apple box on the farm screen porch. They thought, well, we'll just let it pass peacefully in the night. How long can it live without its head? But this stubborn bird had other ideas. The next morning, to their utter astonishment, the headless bird was somehow still alive. So they decided to give this tough bird a second chance at living. And they subsequently put in the effort required to sustain him by using a dropper and syringe to feed him and to clear out his throat. Now, the news of Miracle Mike traveled fast as it spread beyond the farm. After a story was soon published about Miracle Mike in a local newspaper, it took less than a month for a sideshow promoter named Hope Wade to appear. He drove to see the Olsons and their miraculous bird all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, Wade saw in this bird an opportunity to make good money on the sideshow circuit, and he was right. As Miracle Mike appeared more than ready to live out his second life without his head, the story soon ended up in Life magazine and another story was issued in time. A tour around the United States followed where Mike reportedly earned his owners a whopping $4,500 per month, a staggering sum of money in those days. Mike's value was pegged at $10,000 for insurance purposes. All told, from the day that Mike lost his head, he lived on for another 18 months, somehow both dead and alive. Now, thankfully, we still have our heads attached to our bodies. At least, most of us do. But in a similar way that Mike went on that chopping block, on the day that we went to the cross, also an instrument of death, and we repented of our sins, we died to our sins, when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, there, we died to that old sinful flesh. It was cut off. But just as it wasn't the end for Mike when he went to the chopping block, so too it wasn't the end when we went to the cross. And we miraculously now go on to live a brand new life, alive to God in Christ. Now, there are many people who don't believe this, and they say that 
All that salvation nonsense, it's, it's just, it's, it's impossible. It's simply too good to be true. I don't believe it. But I want you to consider that if an earthly surgeon can take a piece of living skin from one human body and graft it onto another body, and it can completely soon grow together as one skin tissue so fully that it is as if it had always been one, if a human doctor can do something like that, then don't you suppose that likewise the divine surgeon, the great physician, the creator of skin tissue in the first place, don't you think that he can likewise graft the life of his son into us and us into him so perfectly that our lives become connected together so fully it's as though they were always one in the first place? And this life, my friends, this one interconnected with Christ, is not only a future hope that, oh, I hope someday I'll be connected to Christ. No, for those who are in faith, in Christ, it is our current reality. It is our position right now, today, fully intertwined, connected to Christ in every way that matters. This is our position today. So for all who have come to Christ in repentance and faith, right now, this very moment, you are alive to God with Christ Jesus. If we jump ahead to verse 11, Paul declares, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some other translations say, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul was using the Texas slang, I reckon. He wasn't meaning, I suppose. In fact, the Greek word that is used here for reckon or consider yourselves, the Greek word is logizomai. And logizomai is a very precise and definitive accounting term that means literally to calculate something to be absolutely true. To calculate something to be absolutely true. Logizomai. So when Paul says reckon or count yourselves, he is in fact telling us to definitively calculate ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God as something that is absolutely true. Take away any guesswork. Take away any uncertainty or doubt or I hope so's. Today, you can stake it as absolutely true that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You can stake your life and your very soul on it. And so this means that if you have placed your faith in Christ, then this is your current position. You are completely identified, hidden, covered, and clothed in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So let me ask, do you believe this? Do you believe this really and truly? From the top of your head to your tips of your toes, is this your current reality? That you believe this with every fiber of your being? That you have staked your life and your soul on it? Do you believe this? Jesus' life is now my life. Jesus' identity is now my identity. Jesus' position is now my position 
as a dearly loved child of God with the inheritance of heaven waiting for me. Do you believe this? Now listen, if you're not sure if you believe this, if you're not sure if you are in Christ by faith, please don't put it off. Your position before God is the single most important thing in this entire life, in your entire existence. So let me just say, if you, if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to explain this to you, to pray with you, please feel free to contact me. I would absolutely love to speak with you about this. And so now that we have established these first two positional keys of our sanctification, that we have died to sin with Christ and are now alive to God with Christ, we move on to the third and final practical key that empowers our sanctified life. And the third key is this. Yield yourself fully to your new master. Yield yourself fully to your new master. Let's go back now to Romans 6 and verse 6 and 7. There Paul continues. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, take note here of the term slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. This means that before Jesus, sin was your master. And as your master, that means you were its slave. And as a slave, you simply have no choice but to follow your master's commands. Now, sure, people try to resist those commands sometimes, but ultimately, when it comes to sin, it's as the the Star Trek Borg famously said, resistance is futile. You see, the chains of sin are very real and very strong. They're so strong that not a single person has succeeded in breaking them save one. And whether we realize they're there or not, you will know they're there when you try to resist, because in the end, aside from the one who can break them, we are its captive. And as we sing in that great praise song, if you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. You see, many men and women, boys and girls, people through thousands of years have tried to break those chains alone, by their own strength. But Jesus alone is the one who can break the chains of that old master of sin. And that is exactly what he has already done. Now, of course, we know that. But here's the key to living out that reality that these chains are really and truly gone. When Jesus liberated us from the chains of our old master of sin, he didn't transfer ownership back to us. He didn't break the chains and then say, hey, Danny, now go off and live life as you please. That's not what he did. Rather, when Jesus broke the chains to our old master of sin, he transferred our ownership to himself so that we can now live to please him, our new master. And so don't miss this. Unlike with our old master of sin, we don't obey Jesus because we have no choice or out of fear. Rather, we choose to obey Jesus willingly out of love because we want to obey him out of sheer gratitude for what he's done for us. That he has saved us, that he has set us free, that he has redeemed us, 
that he has vicariously atoned for us. And so we say, Jesus, my life is yours because of what you have done for me. Not because you demand it, because I give it freely, willingly, out of gratitude. Now this makes sense, right? But here's the problem. Though the chains of sin are now broken and we're under a new, much better master, the problem is that old master is still hanging around. He's still lurking in the shadows, still trying to lure, trick, or intimidate us into coming back to him. And sin will say, You can't beat me. Who do you think you are? You can't resist me. You've never succeeded before. What makes you think now is any different? It's futile. Give up and give in right now just like you always have and always will. And sin will whisper these things into our ears. And if we let them, we give in. And we go back. Now you've likely heard of the term Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome. The term was coined from a 1973 bank robbery that happened in Stockholm, Sweden. During that robbery, several bank employees were taken hostage and they were held hostage in that bank vault for five days while their captors negotiated in a standoff with the police. Well, during this standoff, something very strange happened. The victims started to become emotionally attached to their captors. So much so that even when the police finally came and tried to rescue them, they rejected their freedom and chose to remain captives. It actually went so far that once they were finally freed, they continued to defend their captors and would only say good things about them. It seemed that the victims had become so infatuated with their captors that they didn't want to be set free. Now, in a similar way, many of us have been held captive by the old master of sin for so long that we've become infatuated with it. So much so that when Christ comes along to set us free, we struggle to leave, even though we are free to do so. And then sometimes, like those freed hostages, we'll even continue to defend sin and to make excuses for why we're still dabbling with it. It's not so bad. It's just a little thing. It's not a big deal. You know, sometimes I've, over the years, had Christians who have confessed sins to me that they've been struggling with. And don't get me wrong, confession is a good thing. It's part of our being freed from sin. We have to confess our sin. But then sometimes I hear Christians say things like, but you see, I just couldn't help it. I had no choice. And to that, I always say, yes, you can help it, and yes, you do have a choice. Because you see, before Christ, it's true, you couldn't help it, and you didn't have a choice. Before Christ, resistance was futile, because sin was your master. But now listen, friend, after Christ, you can help it, you do have a choice, because Jesus has set you free. The chains are gone. The, the, the cell vault, the door is open. You are free to leave sin at any time. The choice is yours. And because of Christ, because of your new master, he has given you the power and the will to enable you to now say no to sin and to leave. 
Listen to Romans 6, verses 11 to 14. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now see now he's speaking to our will. We have an ability by exercising our will, exercising our discipline, that now we, because of Christ, have the choice that we cannot let sin reign in our mortal body so that we obey it. We are now free to resist and have victory. He continues, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin, listen to this, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Friends, this is the best news you've ever heard in your life. If you don't know it right now, know it right now. Sin shall not be your master. He is gone. Embrace it. Sin is dead. It is not your master. And if last night it was tempting you with whispers, yeah, just come back. Just come back. You have the power in Christ to say, no, you're dead to me. You are not my master. Get out of my life. Get out of my house. Get out of my thoughts. Get out of my spirit. You do not belong. I belong to Christ. I have a new master. Take a hike. Sin is dead. It shall not be your master, friends. This is the best news you've ever heard in your life. You can embrace it right now. It makes all the difference. So though Paul concedes that the Christian, yes, yes, sadly, is still capable of sin, the Christian won't be controlled by sin. So friend, listen, if you're a Christian, and right now it seems as though sin is reigning in your life, if you're a Christian and you profess Christ, but it seems as though right now you're back in that vault, the chains have been reattached, and you're just like, I can't break free. The, the sin just keeps dragging me back, and it keeps dragging me back. If that is just describing where you feel like you're at right now, let me just tell you some more good news, friends. Listen, it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't. For in Christ, you now have the ability and the power to resist sin and win. And not only in Christ do you have the ability to resist sin and win, you have the ability to resist Satan and win. The Bible tells us, submit yourself to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit, yield yourself fully to your new master. Resist sin and Satan, and yes, it has to run the other way. We have the ability and the power to win. For as Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires, but instead offer or yield yourself fully to your new master as an instrument of righteousness. The choice is ours right now. There's a story told of a pirate who had spent many years doing the pirate thing, lying, stealing, killing, plundering in faraway lands. And during this time, he had amassed a great treasure for himself, and he had put it all in a, in a massive chest on his ship. And the pirate held on tightly to that treasure chest because he saw in it something of much more value than just the jewels and gold and coins. He saw in that chest the fulfillment of all of his life's dreams, ambitions, 
and success. This treasure represented the good life for him. And so after amassing his fortune, the pirate decided that he had enough, and it was time to set sail for home and now enjoy his newfound wealth. However, not long into his voyage, a great storm arose. It didn't take long for the storm to overtake the ship, and soon the ship began to break into pieces and sink into the depths. Eventually, the pirate and his treasure chest plunged into the cold sea. And he began to sink, holding on, clinging desperately to his treasure chest, refusing to let go. After all, he had put all of these years of effort into amassing what was in this chest. He wasn't going to let it go now. And as he sunk down into the depths, all that raced through his mind was one thought. How can I get this treasure back to the surface? But even as that thought was going through his mind, he was sinking deeper and deeper. And as his lungs soon began to burn for lack of oxygen, he quickly realized that holding on to his precious treasure chest would soon kill him. Life was not in the treasure chest, but up on the surface. And so he had a decision to make. Either let go of the chest, go up to the surface and live, or cling to the chest, sink to the depths, and die. He couldn't have it both ways. And so finally, with great reluctance, the pirate let go of the chest and swam desperately for the surface. Now we're a lot like that pirate. When we hold on to our fleshly desires and our, and our habitual indulgence in our pet sins, we're like that pirate, thinking that somehow the things in this old chest will satisfy us. But in reality, all they're doing is pulling us down towards death. So if you are in Christ and sin is dragging you down, listen, just let it go. Let it go. Open your fingers and let it sink away so that you are now free, unhindered, to swim to the surface and take life, real life, in Christ. And by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we now have the ability to let go of sin, to head towards Christ, Christ at the surface, to take that deep breath of life that is truly life, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, offer ourselves now as not instruments of wickedness, but as instruments of righteousness, now used and useful to God in his service to bring about his kingdom in this world. And that, my friends, is what will truly satisfy our souls, give our lives meaning and purpose, and will live on into eternity in God's kingdom that is yet to come. This, my friends, is not only our position, but now our reality in Christ. That we have died to sin with Christ. We are alive to God in Christ. And now, today, my friends, fully yielded to him, we can live out that new life free from sin and fully alive to God. Amen. Lord God, this gospel is such good news, it just makes me want to shout. Lord, you are good. You have done all of this for us. We can take no credit for any of it, but you truly have set our souls free. That we are dead to sin. So dead that in the eyes of the law, there is not one sin on the ledger. 
We are dead and buried with Christ. Every last one is gone. But we didn't stay in that grave. Today we walk free, alive in Christ. And just as you walked this earth all those years ago, Lord, we now walk this earth, empowered by your Holy Spirit, to advance the kingdom by force, as instruments of righteousness, to take back what is yours, to penetrate the darkness, to to bring the light into dark places, to declare this gospel of the kingdom, that death is defeated, that sin is the one who has to run, that Satan, he's the one on the back foot, not God, and that, Lord, this kingdom is advancing like a mighty army, and we are numbered. We are so blessed to be numbered in that army that, Lord, today we have this choice. And so, Father, I pray For every believer listening to the sound of my voice right now, let them know that this moment, if there is a besetting sin clinging to them, they have, by you, the ability right now to open their fingers, to let it go, and to head in your direction, fully yielded to the new life that you have for them. There is more than enough grace. There is more than enough power. And Lord, you have made it all possible. So I pray, Lord, Bring us freedom as individuals and as a church to live this life out fully as you intend to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you now bow with me for the benediction? Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God bless you richly in this week ahead. And my prayer continues to be that we will be able to meet together very soon. Let's pray to that end, and we know that God, who is faithful, he will bring it to pass in his time. And so I look forward to that. God bless you.